Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fireside Podcast, where our mission is to create kingdom culture, equip the church, and glorify God. Did that throw you off? We talked about it, but I was like, Jeremiah said that, and I realized that we really need to run with that. So, yeah. Sorry, can I interrupt? No, no. This is, yeah. This is the first time he said kingdom culture before. Yeah. But. So we did a whole episode about like our new mission statement, basically. Say that the, again. The I creating like culture. That. Yeah. Thank you, man. Don't give him what? Credit. Maybe part of it was that you said it with confidence. Seriously. Hey, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> anytime. There are two seats open. <laughs> In fact. Yeah. Close my thoughts on will come if we're running out of time then we're running into love the morning comes just when it wants no clock can tell me how it's done for now the darkness has its fun but soon we'll see the morning sun so don't close your eyes and I won't close my the dawn will come if we're running out of time then we're running into love yes. yes our mission at the fireside community is to create kingdom culture equip the church and to glorify God I'm Houston. I'm Clayton. And I'm Jeremiah. And we're here with a special guest today, Jeff Youngblood, a local artist slash beatbox enthusiast slash new father, I hear. Um, Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm also, I do graphic design for a living, so. That's, yeah, that's yeah. why he's here at the Creative Arts Academy teaching teaching it up this week so yeah yeah so before we get into like a formal introduction on jeff jj why don't you talk about that like what are, where are we at right now and what are we doing we are actually mobile today we are at ozark christian college in a uh, room full of band equipment because the creative arts academy is happening uh, currently with a bunch of high school students a brand new program uh it's pretty great i mean uh, jeff could probably talk a little bit on that too the students have been awesome uh, it's been a good time to just, you know, try to try to help equip these students for what they're going to be doing back home at their churches. So, um, or just in general <laughs> with their lives, like this is what they want to be doing. Uh, there's tons of different tracks with music or graphic arts or uh, film, uh, photography. There's all kinds of stuff Animation. they can do here. Animation. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's another thing. So yeah. Cool thing. Like I said, it's brand new this year. So I'm teaching the graphic design slash illustration class. Oh, cool. And I would say that half of my job here feels like it is to mentor and encourage kids mm -hmm. not just teach them practical skills but right. kind of marry those two things because um, i feel like inside the church especially there's just not a space that's safe for kids to like engage with creativity mm -hmm. you know free from judgment that type of thing and then also just where they can learn learn skills to be excellent in what they do so that's what this camp is all about yeah yeah, and it's been awesome. Like, I've been here teaching guitar and some voice lessons as well. Um, but, yeah, like Jeff said, it's been more of a mentor process. Like, I gave these kids my, my email address and was like, you know, if you if you need anything, <laughs> you know, while you're back at home, like, use me as a resource. I'm here for you. So it's been really cool. Clayton, do you have anything to add to this? 
<laughs> this is all them. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe one day we'll be sponsored by Ozark and yeah, maybe. all that. Yeah. That whole little tag right there will make us some money. But there we go. not today. <laughs> not today. Ozark Creative Arts Academy. Oh, Creative ah. Arts Academy. So you do graphic design for a living, right? See, I don't know anything about that kind of stuff. So it's so cool to have you on because you're just such a different voice from what we're used to having. Well, our voice is what we're used to having. Right. And exactly. that, yeah, so, so you're a different does. voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you uh, fireside historians at home, this is the first time we're using all four microphones and we were not mm-hmm. ready. We didn't have right. all the right equipment. I mean, yeah, we're going we to take this, a picture of this setup. <laughs> this yeah, is, we have this. Uh, Jeff just found this mic or, well, I guess it's a cymbal stand. Yeah, that's what this I is. I mean, it's just like. And we had to use that to hold a mic, and it's pretty great. It's so. like an arm jammed in another <laughs> arm. It's like, it's awesome. Yes. Uh, so, Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourself. Not just, you know, that you're a graphic designer, artist, that kind of stuff, but, like, who's Jeff Youngblood? Right. So, I grew up in the East Coast in North Carolina. Um, moved around a lot as a kid, and I took to art probably late. Um, compared to most people. I don't, I don't think I started really drawing until maybe ninth grade, um, 10th grade. And then I was very troubled, you know, as a kid and I didn't have a lot of support at home. It was just, you know, I come from a broken home and my art teacher in high school was one of the first people to really invest in me. Um, along with probably my English teacher, um, and like sort of awakening me to like the world of literature and, um, you know, just that whole side of creativity. Um, and I came in, you know, from a world where I wasn't necessarily free to express myself at home. Um, and even if I did express myself, I sort of felt like it fell on de- deaf ears, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so art gave me a way to sort of have that safety and express things that I really needed to express. And because of the investment that, um, those two, there's two particular teachers I'm thinking of that they made in me. It, it sort of put a spark in me that has never, you know, went out. And so that's why I still make art today and, like, why I love creativity. And it's also why I'm really excited about this camp and to be here to, like, you know, complete the circle, so to speak, yeah. and, and to sow into the next generation of kids. So you said you're married and a father now. Mm-hmm. And what's your wife's name? Datsay. Datsay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, she's from Latvia. Is that right? Very good. Yes. Cool. See, I told you I doing research. <laughs> no, actually, Jeremiah just said that earlier. <laughs> I wish I could take credit for that. So we were, you were saying uh, before we started recording that you've got a really cool story, a really cool testimony about just your uh, journey with Datsay. Right. Me and my wife, we've been married for four years. Um, just over that, we married in 2012 in like d- December. And we, we met through a friend, through Facebook. Someone who made, made a friend suggestion. Um, a friend of mine who is a Latvian American who lives in Chicago. So, and I actually wrote her and I was like, why are you giving me this friend suggestion? And she's like, well, you're a creative person. You both do art and music. And it just seemed like maybe a good connection for you. And I was like, okay. Um, it was really interesting to me at the time because not that long ago I had gotten out of a relationship and it was one of those relationships that sort of like it didn't even mature that much but it affected me much deeper than I expected and I really broke my heart because I felt like this girl 
Um, I didn't, it wasn't like she was definitely the one, but it, my heart was starting to think, hey, maybe this is the girl. You know, and I'm, I mean, I'm like 34, 35 at this time and like have never been married, you know. Um, so my heart was like kind of aching a little bit. And, and I had this conversation with God where I'm like, you know what, I just screwed that up. And I'm, at the end of it, I'm just heartbroken and like I'm done with like women for a while at least. Like I don't want to look. For my wife, you know, and, and all that whole business. So I, it's not that I wrote off women. I wrote off my ability to find the right one, <laughs> right? Because I didn't have much faith in myself anymore. And I was like, I don't want to just end up heartbroken right. again. So a few months after I sort of said that prayer or made that pact with God or whatever you want to call it, this friend suggestion comes along. And so I'm a little skeptical and I'm like, well, I've it's cool, I'll just be friends with this girl if she's cool, you know? So I started writing her and we got to talking about music and art and just having a conversation like that. We became friends really quickly. And then before you knew it, it was like, it's like that switch goes on and you're like, oh my gosh, I like this girl, like, 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 you know? And so I'm like, okay, what do I do now? And we decided to have a conversation about that and I was like, hey, I, I'm sort of liking you, how do you feel? And she felt the same way. And she's 5,000 miles away, you know? I'm like, how's this gonna work? <laughs> and so we took a break, we decided to take a break and just pray about it, mm. you know? So we didn't talk for a week. And, uh, cause we had a brief Skyping session like that sort of initiated that. Um, and we didn't talk for a week and I prayed. I asked my mother to pray and just some friends of mine to pray because I really wanted to do things the right way, you know. And it was really good because because I was fresh on the heels of like this bad experience, I was more willing to let God lead the whole thing. Um, and that ended up being just such a like blessing in disguise, you know, having my heart broken. And so, um, at the end of this week, I felt like I had confirmation from God and sort of in the form of like he just, it was like he said to me, hey, just go for it, you know, just pursue this woman. He didn't tell me what exactly was going to happen, but it, I sort of felt like he, I had a blessing from my heavenly father, like, hey, I this is a good girl, just pursue her and see what happens. So then I'm kind of nervous. I'm like, well, I wonder what God said to her, you know, <laughs> in this week time. And, and basically... Um, sort of said the same thing to her, right? A um, little bit of backstory on that. I kind of confessed to her, which was really difficult to do because my past was really just dark and, and messed up, you know. I'd been around <laughs> the block a time or two. And uh, she had barely even ever dated someone, mm -hmm. you know. And so I was like, well, how can I impose my lurid lifestyle onto someone who is like, who has preserved themselves before God and has just remained pure, you know? And I remember praying about this and like God was specifically, like it, he just broke in and I felt like he said to me, who do you think you are, you know? If I forgive you, why don't you forgive yourself and believe that you're pure in my eyes and, you know, and if I want to give you this gift of this woman, who are you to argue with me, mm. you know? And uh, that was really kind of 
just flipped the script on me, you know, and just, it's one of those moments where you feel convicted and like totally encouraged at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we got back together on Skype and we're talking and I shared this experience with her and she said she had a similar experience. Hmm. Like God spoke to her cause she was like really struggling in her mind. Cause I had just told her, Hey, I have this dark, shameful past, uh, you know, from the things that I've done, the women that I've been with, whatever. And, and, she said God spoke to her and said, who do you think you are? Like, if I've forgiven this person, that you can't forgive them, you know? Right. And, uh, and so God was like, hey, you know, if I want to give this guy to you as a husband, you know, then you shouldn't stand in my way, basically. So pursue, you know, let him pursue you. It wasn't yeah. like God said, hey, this is your husband, but it was like, yeah, yeah. you have, you know, he has my blessing, you have my blessing. And so then we just started like Skyping like on overdrive, you know, um, <laughs> I think I checked at one point this happened and we met him at the end of October and sometime around November, like mid November, we decided that she needed to come to the United States. And so I bought a plane ticket and I think we had Skyped like 63 hours or something like that. Like something, <laughs> something nuts, you know? And, uh, so she came to, she was coming to, to Joplin in December. And, you know, I was really praying to God about this because I had screwed up so many times in the past. And I'm just like, keep putting it before him, you know, hey, just stop me from like doing something really stupid. Like, here's where I'm headed. I'm going this direction. If this is wrong, just kind of slap me backwards or whatever you need mm -hmm. to do, you know. And uh, I just got more and more confirmation and I just I felt like this is the girl like this is the woman I'm supposed to marry and I went and I bought an engagement ring and you know a wedding ring and everything before she even got here before I met her in person hmm. you know and uh, I even made a, a date for dinner you know and, and so she comes here and she stays at my dad's house um, and I, I was living on my own at the time and so she's staying with my step parents and the week that she comes here, my brother, my little brother who lived with them also, tried to commit suicide. Oh, wow. So, like, this just throws a hole. Like, he has a, he has a bipolar disorder. And, you know, it was really a tough time in our family. And just, like, it was just a crazy. And then I'm thinking, well, what's this girl going to think of me and my family? And, like, how's this going to work out? And, like, should I even go through with this engagement dinner that I'm supposed to have, you know, cause it was the same week, you know? And I think on Wednesday, it was like a Wednesday with my brother or Tuesday. And then we had dinner reservations on like Friday or Saturday. I don't remember exactly which, you know, and I was just praying about it and I felt like God just gave me his blessing. It was like, Hey, you know, your family probably needs some good news, you know, and like needs some, mm -hmm. some positive things to happen. And so, you know, we went through it and, and, uh, it was really interesting, like the spiritual warfare that was sort of like um, surrounding us was very evident. I remember us going out to dinner at this place in Tulsa. It was a really nice restaurant. I, like I never spent that much money on, on a <laughs> dinner, you know. I think I dropped like 200 bucks or whatever. Wow. You know? And, and uh, we had these moments during dinner where I felt like, just all these crazy thoughts like descended in my head. Like this girl, she speaks Russian, by the way, and Latvian, and she's, she grew up in the Soviet Union. Um, I think she was around nine years old when the, 
wall fell and like all that stuff. Even though they didn't have a wall in her country, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm having like all these crazy thoughts, like she's a Russian spy and like she's gonna murder me, and like, <laughs> you know, like my soup poisoned, and you know, all this kind of crazy stuff. And like I was just, it was just such a battle in my mind, and and like my credit card got declined, you know, <laughs> right before I'm about to propose to her, like over mm -hmm. dessert or whatever, and like I had to run down the street to the ATM and like take cash out and. Um, I found out later it was just like some sort of mix up with, uh, I guess if you're out of town and it's like a weekend night and you're dropping a lot of money on a credit card huh. and it's like, like a protective up. measure or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. But anyway, so that was like embarrassing and I, you know, I come back and then I finally just get the courage to go through with it, you know, and she said yes. And, uh. You know, I, I read her some things that I'd been write, writing about her that was on my heart. And, and, uh, and then, I, you know, I think it was the next day we talked about our dinner and she told me she was having the same sort of crazy thoughts. Like, just out of nowhere, totally irrational thoughts like, hey, this guy's going to kill me. <laughs> you know, we're not even in the town that he lives in. You know, we were in Tulsa and I live in Joplin. And, like, nobody will know. And, like, he's going <laughs> to throw my body out in the woods. You know, just all this really just nuts, like, totally crazy stuff, you know. And when I heard her tell me that, I was like, man, this is a spiritual, like, battle going on, mm -hmm. you know. I don't see that sort of stuff as a coincidence. Um, I mean, other people can view it however you want to view it. But to me, it was like evident, like that the kingdom of darkness was like not okay with what was happening. You know, um, and that encourages you to that that's right. You know, that that's right in the moment. Like if there's that much spiritual right. warfare, it's like yeah, this is this yeah. is good. Then it does, but at the same time, you can it can be overwhelming. Well, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> be, definitely. But you can be a little scared. Right, right. I've just I've been noticing that a lot more just in my own walk. You know, recently is like if something you know good is happening there's a lot of spiritual warfare at, at hand so yeah yeah you get more and more used to it and like i feel like god sometimes even gives you the anointing of like ignore mm. you know mm -hmm. what i mean like <laughs> just mm -hmm. just get out of here i don't have time for that you know mm. um so anyways uh you know the stuff with my brother worked out and like uh she you know, this was 10 days into her staying here for a month. So 20 days later, she ends up going back to her country. Um, and then I spent the next year, it was about a year before we saw each other again. Um, and I was just like praying about like, because we still didn't have any like practical details. Like she moving here, am I going there? You know, um, so I'm just praying about this kind of stuff and, and, uh, you know, she goes back to her country, and then we're back on the Skype thing, which is, like, really difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if, if you guys have ever been in a long-distance relationship, but imagine you just got engaged to someone, and then, you know, they go to Europe, and you're in the United States, and you can't see them. And this, she's seven hours ahead, so it's, like, hard to coordinate even talking on the phone. And, you know, and I'm working nine to five, and I, I think, Jeremiah, that's where I met you. Mm -hmm. Like, I was engaged at this point. So then, yeah, it's like, even though we're engaged, you have that feeling like it hasn't, you know, the wedding hasn't happened yet. And so it's still, it's still a war with your emotions and, and especially being so far away and you just begin to doubt things and like if it's really going to work out and, 
you know, we're, we're working through these things and God's using those things to like check your motives and to, to ask you what you're willing to sacrifice, you know, mm. not just for his kingdom, but for the love of someone that you're supposed to spend your life with and um, what that really means, you know, are you willing to give up? Because that's so much more in your face when you're from another culture. Are you willing to make these sacrifices, right? To give up part of your life to be a part of hers and, and vice versa. Because we don't know, like, is she going to come here and live? And then she can't be with her family. Am I going to go there? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'm seeking godly counsel from people. Um, you know, and you get a lot of advice, some of it good, some of it bad. And, and usually a mixture of that from people who have their best, your best intentions in their heart. Um, but ultimately it comes down to you and God, you know, and you're the one that's going to have to live with the consequences. So you should seek that counsel and, and seek God's word and, and pray about what you're supposed to do. But ultimately any decision you make is like, it's between, for us, it was like, it's between her, me and God, and we have to live with it. And the person that you marry is, it's the most important decision I feel like you can make in your life because it affects every other decision more dramatically that follows that, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, this whole time we're struggling with these kind of thoughts and these kind of questions and working those out. And, you know, I didn't have a college degree. And so the question comes like, how am I gonna support this woman? At the time I was working at a uh, call center, you know, which was a nightmare of a job. Um, but there's things in my heart about what I wanna do and, and and I'm praying, like, should I go back to college? And, and like, how am I going to support this woman? And, and the more I prayed about it, the more God was like, um, I mean, I remember this one specific moment when I was um, upstairs at my parents' house and just praying about this. And it was like, God, I just don't know what to do. Should I go back to college? And God just broke in and he told me, and this, the, the thing that he told me shocked me. He said, you are never going back to college. Like it was that straightforward and that like direct. And I don't know if you guys have ever gotten an answer like that to prayer from God, but it was just like almost shocking. Like what, what? And it was, it seemed to be a go against the advice most people were giving me. Like, hey, you need to get a degree, then bring her over here. You can get a job easier and support a family. I mean, it made sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I felt like God sort of gently said to me, you know, the things that qualify you in man's eye is not what I'm after. Like, it actually makes you qualified in my eyes that you're unqualified to them. And I felt like that was a very personal message to me. Because I would totally advocate someone going to college and that God would tell you to go to college and all those things. But with me, it was just different. He didn't want... Part of that's just my personal story that I take a lot of pride in my intellect and my achievements intellectually. And, you know, I, at one point I wanted to get a PhD and become a professor and write books and like, you know, that whole thing. And God was just like, that's not what I have for you. You know, that's not how I'm glorified in your life. And... Mm. and um, and it's not even really what you desire in your heart. You just don't know it yet, you know. And, hmm. and the more I prayed, it just became clear to me that God wanted me to go to her country, you know. And so I spent the next, um, you know, 
let's jump forward like seven, eight months. Um, as it's getting closer to me going over there, I just, I mean, in my heart, God was like, I want you to get rid of all your possessions and just, you know, go to her country. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You know, and he's like, well, don't worry. I'll be there when you get there, you know, mm. and I'll show you what to do. Um, so that's what I did. I, uh, I either sold or gave away everything that I owned except for maybe a three by two foot plastic tub. And I put that in storage with my mother and uh, just filled a suitcase with the clothing I wanted and to keep and got rid of the rest and got on a plane and went to Latvia. Hmm. And uh, we didn't even have a date for the wedding yet. And I get there in November, I believe it was. And we didn't have, I mean, I had my savings, but I didn't want to like burn through that. You know, God just brought everything together, and we ended up getting um, this priest that was, uh, had sort of discipled my wife when she was a lot younger, who was an artist, um, who gave up that and a lot of other things to become a priest. He was in the war, and like he, he had one of those moments where he prayed to God, hey, if I survive, I'll become a priest and serve <laughs> you the rest of my life. And that's what he did. Yeah. But he lived out on a manor. It's a place where they rehabilitate. They rehabilitate um, drug addicts, and like he has a ministry there. And, and he was like, "Hey, you guys can come get married here. I'll marry you." And um, and this place was beautiful. It was like full of like Byzantine art and like hmm. all this really just fantastic stuff. And um, and a friend of hers made her dress. And another friend was like, "Hey, I'll do all the flowers." And so we ended up having like a fairy tale wedding that was like people would pay thousands and thousands of dollars for, and it was like all. Just God just took care of it all. Man. And yeah, we got married and we had a brief honeymoon and, and we ended up living over there for 15 months in her country. Um, we had a lot of battles where I got kicked out of the country and had to fight with visa stuff. And, you know, and, and, uh, and that was a really a, a time of trial for us too. But God brought us back together. And, um, and then about three years ago he brought us back to the states you know it was kind of like all the doors suddenly closed all at once and and then we didn't because we we were doing a lot of men we ended up doing a lot of ministry there with like youth groups and just traveling and, and different stuff like that um, but then suddenly all the doors closed and we got we just came back to america and i i took up graphic design and and uh, we've been here in joplin ever since hmm. So God's just, done, he's done amazing things through our relationship and he's used us to, to really, I think, touch and minister to a lot of people. And, you know, like I said, God's used my wife to like heal brokenness that's inside of me and, and vice versa too. You know, one of the, one of the scriptures that really got impressed upon me when we were engaged was like, he who's been forgiven much loves much, mm. you know? felt like God through that was saying you have the capacity to really love this woman you know because of the garbage that you've been through mm. so you know that's still a challenge I, I you know I grew up not really learning how to love mm -hmm. someone and I never had a good example of what a, a a godly man should be and one who takes care of his family and you know I'm still trying to learn that stuff and figure it out and, and uh, my wife is really sensitive and and tender person 
and she she's almost like like in my life I've always been that just trailblazer and I like go for it and just you know fiery sort of passionate person and she's really passionate too but like God sort of uses her to like put the brakes on you know and and say hey slow down and um, it's not just about you and and you know you need to awaken that sensitive part of your heart you know mm-hmm. and, and learn learn that from your wife and just pay attention to her and, and you know what's what's in your heart and how it's affecting what's in her heart and you know that's the beauty of marriage it's the beauty of relationships God brings together two things that are so totally different sometimes and mm-hmm. makes this new thing that never existed before you know mm-hmm. you, you bring up that point right there um i'm kind of interested in hearing like what was your your wife's uh, uh faith community like and yeah. and what was yours at that time and how is that those two how were they different and how have they merged together now mm, that is an interesting question um I guess around that time for me, this was not too long after the Joplin tornado um, when I met my wife. I mean, you know, we got married in 2012 and the tornado was in 2011 and that August and I think I met her that October. Hmm. So just a few months and I lost my job through the tornado. Um, I lost my car and lost a few friends so I was in a I was in a really vulnerable place for a while you know and I kind of poured my heart out into doing volunteer work for like six months after I lost my job I just went and lived with my parents Mm. you know Um, and my church was really involved in that like a lot of churches here were right if you guys Mm -hmm. remember that um, I mean the town was so devastated that a lot of churches sort of by default was like just became um, volunteer centers or like feeding people making sure people have amenities and um, so that's that's what we did my church um, we sort of opened our doors more widely and and we did a lot of worship and prayer like at all hours of the day and um, we were serving food out at St. John's for like months you know Hmm. and we had a really t- tight-knit um, community of people. Um, we had a lot of weaknesses at the church, but I, I would say we did community really well, mm-hmm. um, which made up for a lot of other, you know, bad mistakes. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, yeah, we were a, a really close-knit community. Uh, does that answer you? Well, uh, yeah, so I was thinking, like... Um Specifically, since your your wife's uh, well, hold on. Um, is she from the Orthodox Church? Yeah, that's where I'm getting. Oh. That's the that's the question he's trying to ask. <laughs> Was she raised Eastern Orthodox? There's not actually that much Eastern Orthodox in Latvia. Is that right? Hmm. Um, the predominant is Lutheran. Mm. Huh. And then let me see if I can remember this hierarchy. I want to say like maybe Baptist is second, and hmm. then wow. Catholic, and then 
like maybe other denominations of Protestants and then Eastern Orthodox is like kind of low down there mm-hmm. in the hierarchy. Um, which is unlike a lot of the other countries that actually surround Latvia, like yeah. Ukraine, which I've been to, is like a lot of Orthodox and mm-hmm. Poland and, you know, some of those other places. And I think a lot of those places, the Eastern Orthodox Church is the only one that has like permission to operate by the government. Is It's like... I think it's like that in Belarus, maybe. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Belarus is probably the most unwelcoming country in that whole region um, to anything that's not officially sanctioned by the government. Mm-hmm. It's, it can be a pretty tricky place. But Latvia is really open. I mean, I saw things there that I've never seen here. Like, yeah. it wasn't unusual for me to work with Lutherans or Baptists or even Catholics. Like, that was just... And I'm not saying they don't have their disagreements and problems or whatever, but it was so much less than what... what I, I mean, I would never get invited here by some of those denominations if they knew that I would like mm-hmm. work with Catholic churches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, that's just, I feel like that's a, that's a real, real thing here. Yeah. Know? So she was Catholic. No, she was raised Catholic and around the time, I don't know how many years I wish she was here to answer this question better than I could, but she started just sort of seeking for something else. Like and she still to this day loves the Catholic Church, and sometimes she goes to Catholic Church here um, downtown, and um, and I've been with her a couple times. Um, but she just felt like God was leading her to something more. Um, I don't know what the right words are, just more personal, um, more engaging on a, in a different sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she hopped around a. Pentecostal church and Lutheran and different things and ended up in a non-denominational um, church called Morningstar, which is not it's not connected to that like huge ministry here in the States. It oh, just, okay. just happens to have that name. Hmm. So yeah, and it was a, she went to a small church um, I don't know, 25, 30 people, like mm. really small church, but they often spoke three languages in the service. Wow. So and there was times when I would like I would do worship music with her, um, and I'd have to s- learn songs in Latvian and Russian. Oh, cool! <laughs> so. That's cool. Oh. What that... was the uh, What was the culture shock like with uh, I guess with church specifically? I think that's kind of what Clayton was trying to get at, maybe a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was. Which trying is to get at. kind of like uh, you know the European church differences between American well, church. And... I can speak to that more in depth, particularly in Latvia. Um, I would say that the differences in the wider culture are the differences that you see inside the church. Mm-hmm. Um, Latvians are very suspicious of strangers by nature. And part of this is because they're such a small country and they've been invaded a lot and they've been taken over a lot. You know? So they, it's, it's sort of like this inbred cultural suspicion of outsiders. Mm-hmm. And so it's not unusual for for you to go through the day, like go through the city, see the sites, do some shopping, and no one ever speak to you. Hmm. Like that would never happen in the United States. Like mm-hmm. people talk to each other in the grocery line or whatever. It doesn't happen there, ever. I never once had a person that didn't know me. The only exception was really young people, right? But in general, 
it just didn't happen. Hmm. But young people sometimes would, they could tell I was an American or something and they might strike up a conversation. Um, so that is inside the church as well, you know, mm. just that it wasn't that they were suspicious in, inside the church. It was more of a like just ingrained. Well, just keeping guarded and closed off mm. and like not transparent with what's going on in their lives. Like that was a real challenge in the church because someone could be really struggling and you'd never know it. Mm-hmm. Like this is the kind of country they also like. There's just this cultural understanding that people, when they go out in public, they wear their absolute nicest clothes, hmm. right? And you'd never be able to spot the poor people there with some exception. I mean, if people are really poor and they just don't have any nice clothes, then you're mm-hmm. going to be able to tell. But in general, like people, when they go out in public, they're going to wear their nicest clothes and, and they'll be, look brand new. And um, so that was very normal there. And so the same sort of thing is, is a little bit inside the church, um, mm. not just in terms of clothing, but like putting on airs, so to speak, mm. you know. Um, so that's some negative stuff. It wasn't all negative. Um, that one thing that I really appreciated there is they're really huge on honoring people, mm-hmm. which is something I feel like we could learn from here in the United States because we're sort of a what's what's the opposite of honoring people um, shame not shame but like yeah just like stripping all honor right like being flippant like yeah with people and just not always you know as strong as to say disrespectful but just you know yeah pff, whatever yeah just not not impressed you know mm-hmm. um like, like, let's see what this guy's like at home, and then we'll see if we want to talk kind of thing. Like, nobody yeah. is really impressive in America, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, like, when I would teach or preach there, or, or, like, people would come up to me and really just honor me, you know, and say, you know, we appreciate you, you know, do, coming here to speak and, you know, just blessing me. And, and, mm. and that was, like, really... It was uplifting, you know, and I just wasn't used to that inside in the United States. Like some people do that, but um, by and large, it was just it was just a nice change. Um, but then there's a it's a double edged sword because you're like, well, did I actually was that a good message or like or they just you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. is that just part of their culture and what they do? Yeah, it sounds like you came from. Uh, you said a very tight knit community yeah. into this place where like, it seems like the first thing you realize is that you're not, you're outside this community, yeah. right? Like you, you step in and you're immediately aware that you are like, don't fit. Um, yeah. I just think that's so interesting. Uh, you know, Jeremiah's talking about culture shock. Like yeah. what about the community shock? Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like eventually they, they loved you and they, were very inviting and welcoming yeah. to you, but um, like, what was that journey like? Well, I think they were kind of, kind of that way from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, but they just show it in different ways. You know, they're mm-hmm. not really open about um, right off the bat of like, "Hey, come to our house and hang out with us." You know, that stuff did happen over time, but but they were generally pretty accepting of me and welcoming me because they knew my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but my expectations of what that means is different. Like if you went to Latvia, you guys, you know, if you just got plopped down in Latvia without knowing anything, 
and you're riding on public transport and like no one even smiles at you. No one even speaks Sounds to like you. Sounds like my kind of country. Yeah. So <laughs> I enjoyed it. I, there's, a, there's a certain side of it that I really enjoyed, right? Because if you want to just sit on the train and relax and mm-hmm. not be bothered, I mean, that's kind of nice sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? And the other side of that is like, I can't think of a country that I've been, I've been to a lot of countries and I can't think of a country that is more different than America than Latvia was in so many Hmm. ways. Um, Just the quietness of of the culture, like being on a crowded subway and most people are just looking straight forward and they're not really talking. And so it's quiet, which is kind of nice. Like here it's like, you go into a restaurant and you can barely hear yourself think, much less talk, you know? (laughs) And there I could talk, you know, I could talk in a soft voice in a, in a crowded restaurant like this and you'd be able to hear me fine. Hmm. Right? Like, I really liked that and I enjoyed that. And I can't, I had more of a culture shock, I think, when I came back and everything was just so loud and like in my face and like, I was like overwhelming. Like, I, I remember feeling physically sick wow. when hmm. I came back because of that environment mm-hmm. change. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed this interview of Jeff Youngblood. Uh, You can check out more of his work, and we'll put the link in the description. Of course, check out thefiresidecommunity.com for more articles, content, and uh, other goodies coming your way through the website. Our interview with Jeff ran long, and we've got about two episodes to make out of it. And so we hope that you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. I won't close mine The dawn will come If we're running out of time Then we're running into love So don't close your eyes I won't close mine dawn will come if we're running out of time if we're running out of time if we're running out of time then we're running